You know, I need to let you know that if you look at the weekly and you're going to be looking at this and go, whoa, Kevin's speaking now and then he's going to speak again later, according to the weekly. We, I changed the service kind of last minute here. And uh, we got a great worship team who is able to flex with it and flow with it. And I really felt like that I was to bring this message and then we were to move into communion as a response to it. Because I think it's really important as we consider uh, walking in blessing that as we just sang this song, blessing is in Jesus. It's in knowing and following and becoming like him in all ways. And so that is my desire as we kind of move into this whole, you know, continuing this series of lighten up is that we'll look at this uh, this this word this morning. And, and my prayer is that you will be able to lighten up some of the load in your life and move more fully in the blessing of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to just pause, to look at your word. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak to our heart. Help us understand you more fully, to understand ourselves, to respond to you, and then to also express your love through us to the world around us. I pray this whole time that we're here, it's not just about a teaching of the Word, it's about the worship we're going to continue to do after that. That we would just pause in the moment being present here with You and let You reach deeply into our lives to shape and to form us. Come Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, I had our staff, a few of our staff, weigh in on a list of some of the best proverbial sayings you may never have heard. The only bird, uh, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the... Uh, okay, the early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese in the trap. There we go. When everything is coming your way, you're in the wrong lane. Remember, half the people you know are below average. 42.7% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Or, or maybe that was 47.2, or it could be 52, I'm not sure. Anyway, if you think nobody cares, try missing a couple of payments. How many of you believe in psychokinesis? Raise my hand. On the other hand, you have different fingers. Here's a good proverbial question. What happens if you get scared half to death twice? <laughs> and inside every older person is a younger person wondering what in the world happened. This morning I'd like to share with you a proverb you may not have heard of, but is well worth considering as we continue the series lighten up. It's found in the Old Testament. It's in the collections of the wise saying of one of the wisest men of the world, King Solomon. In fact, in King Solomon, he writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, I, the teacher, was the king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I catch this, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. So he, he made a pursuit because we're told in the, the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, 
It's either he's writing in the third person or someone's summing up the book. It says, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. And so he was this kind of guy who was looking for wise sayings. And he not only was, he didn't necessarily make them all up himself. He searched and found in other cultures, other places, and he compiled them together in a book in the Old Testament that we call Proverbs. In fact, in Proverbs of Solomon, it's, it begins in the first verse, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. And then he goes and he, he begins to compile and, and put together this list of Proverbs. And, and, and they're really good to read. In fact, you may want to make this if you're there. Are, I call Proverbs and Psalms people. How many people are Proverbs people here? Come on, raise your hand. There's, you know, half of usually are Proverbs. The other people are Psalms. Proverbs is a great book to read because there's 31 of them and you can read them, you know, one a, a day a month. And they just kind of are good, truthful, proverbial in the sense of general truths of reality. Okay. They're, they're general truths of reality. And so when you, you look at these, there's one that stood out that is, I would say, kind of maybe one you maybe never heard or you haven't maybe thought much of. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2, we're going to just look at this proverb today. It says, like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. Some of you who are familiar with the King James Version might remember it this way, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse without cause does not alight, can't land. Or the message puts it, you have little to fear from an undeserved curse, as from the dart of a wren or the swoop of a swallow. And the point of the Proverbs in many ways in that day was to remove superstition, that if someone just said something, you would also have this curse on your life, or someone could do some kind of incantations and, and you would then be cursed for the rest of your life. And, and they were in a sense trying to say, you know what, curses that are undeserved, that can't land on you, you don't need to be afraid of. You don't need to live constantly with a sense of fear. You can lighten up and understand that you can live in the blessing of God and not be afraid of the undeserved curse, the causeless curse. The picture is of a bird, the sparrow, and there were 13 plus varieties. Any ornithologists here today? 13 or so varieties in the Middle East at that day. Of these, of these sparrows. And the sparrows would leave their nest and they'd wander from it and they'd fly here and there and the idea you'd see them flittering all about trying to land and then maybe not landing and going back to the place that they came from. And it's the idea that a causeless curse is kind of like that. It flitters around, flies around, seeking to try and land but can't find the landing and goes back to its own home. Or he says it's, it's like the swallow. It was called the swift because it flies away very swiftly. It just darts around. And the Hebrew, the, the actual literal root of the word for swallow is the word liberty, freedom. Because it flies boldly and freely and makes, it catches, it makes its nest in houses or barns or any place 
it feels like. And it goes and comes from it without fear. Now, I have a little hobby farm, so we have a little barn, and we have what we call barn swallows. And they love to kind of go in under the overhang, build little nests, and you don't even see them unless you go way over there and you look, and, and they build these little nests, and they fly in and out. And the reason he uses this idea then here of the swallow is the fact that they are the kind of bird that if you let them, they, are not, they don't have any fear, they'll build a nest right in your home, right under the under, you know, they'll build them anywhere. And there's this idea that in one sense, if, a, if the sparrow is flying and then goes back to its home because it can't find a place to rest, it can't find a place to land, on the same token, there is also the swallow which will fly around. And if given the opportunity, has no fear, with great freedom, will just make a nest, will make a home right in your home. Right in your lap. And so the idea of a curse is this, is the picture that it comes freely and boldly into a person's life and builds its home there if it has reason or cause to do so. But if it doesn't, lighten up. Don't be afraid. Live in the blessing of God. In the general sense, Proverbs 26, verse 2, says, Don't worry. Don't be concerned about trouble or evil falling upon you if there's no cause or justification for it. If there's no place for it to land, there's no need to fear or worry. And so you have to ask yourself, I think what Scripture is causing you to say in this proverb is, are there places that that a curse could possibly land in my life? Am I living burdened down in a way because of a curse? Is a curse blocking some of the blessing of God in my life? Maybe you haven't thought about that before. Now, I'm not saying that every misfortune and every trouble, everything that comes into your life is really due to a curse. Or is it due, in this sense, also to, a, to a, a, something you've done that there's a cause. That's why these are general truths. We know there are things that come into your life, crisis, that you have, that you have, there's no reason or cause or justification. It's the Job kind of situation where he was living kind of expecting what you did also had a consequence, and he was kind of going, how come this came into my life? Now, there are those occasions. But there are also occasions, and there's a general truth that says that it is possible for a curse to bring into your life some misfortune, some baggage, some trouble, some difficulty because it's landing on something that you may need to get rid of, that you may need to understand. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, it, it, this is kind of what I call a preventative proverb. It, it's similar to physical health. Spiritual health has a preventative side to it. You know, it's obvious there are certain things that you can do that are not good for your health. But if you would do certain things, you would, your health would be better. You can live in the blessing in a sense of physical health through some preventative measures. Take smoking, for example. If you smoke, you know, that's, that's one that sometimes people ask me as a pastor. And I often, often will just tell people that smoking won't keep you from getting into heaven. It'll just probably get you there faster if you believe in Jesus. You see, there are things we can do to reduce the risk of cancer, says Dr. Oz. Anybody listen to Dr. Oz ever before? Oh, come on. You guys just don't want to admit anything today. Um, the best cancer weapon, he says, is prevention. Equal parts awareness and action. You need to be aware and you need to take action. 
While smoking and obesity are known cancer risks, there are lesser known conditions and lifestyle choices that make you more susceptible to a cancer diagnosis. So you can be preventative physically with your health, so also spiritually, so that when you read Proverbs 26.2, it's about prevention, which calls for equal part awareness and action. So I'm going to hopefully make you aware of some things that you might be able to take some action on. And the first is what I call preventative number one, is careless and harmful words. Your words can actually place a curse on someone, and you may not even be aware of Now, there's a translation of this proverb, chapter 26, 2, that I think can cause a little bit of confusion. It, it, it's correct if you translate it or you understand the meaning of the word correctly. But it says this, Curses will not harm someone who is innocent. They are like sparrows and swallows that fly around and never land. The word innocent is the one that I'm concerned about here. If you mean naive, it's right. But if you mean the idea of innocent in, in the sense of wrongdoing, you're right. But I mean, no, I said it wrong the first time, so let me clear that up. If he means innocent in the sense of naive, that in a sense is not true here. If you mean innocent of wrongdoing, it's true. And let me just share with you what I mean by that. Our words pack a punch. So when a person is naive and when they're young, when you say certain things, they have an impact and they help form, they shape. In fact, Proverbs tells us in another place that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your words have the ability to create life or death. They have the ability to encourage someone or they have the ability to discourage someone. They have the ability to define a situation in a positive way or a negative way. I was reading in my personal quiet time, and what I mean by that is I try and take time where I get alone in, in solitude, where I read God's Word, I journal, and I pray, and I reflect, and I try and do that on a regular daily basis. In order that I can just listen to my heart and, and, and understand what's going on in my life, be able to, to live my life in a God-directed way. And I was reading in Psalm 10:7. And it says here, the words kind of jumped out at me because I was preparing this message. The mouth of the wicked is full of curses and lies and threats. Now, catch this part. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. Like venom, in a sense. Under his tongue, when curses and lies come out, with it come trouble and evil. Our words not only may weigh a person down, but they can actually bring trouble in their life. And not just trouble for the moment, but sometimes like venom, trouble throughout their life until they finally come to recognize and deal with it. And I venture to say that there's some of you who are living a life and words have somehow defined you and it's created a weight and a burden and God wants you to live in blessing and they're words that were created and they were said and spoken by someone maybe in authority and you were in a more naive and innocent and young place. And so when those words came, you didn't have the ability to distinguish it. It was defining your reality which is parents and which is teachers and those of you in authority situations, your words spoken to those who are naive and young and innocent have great power. And they can do great harm. You may not be experiencing the blessing God intends because you have received into your spirit. There was a landing place when you were young and you were naive for words to come that act as a curse and they continue to define and continue because of how it's defined who you are. Things that, that God never intends. Think of what happens when someone who is harried and thoughtless, an adult flings words like these at a child. Hey, stupid, don't you get it? 
I've had enough. You're worthless. Go find some other place to play. You disgust me. Just shut up. Some of you have heard refrains like this throughout your life. Things like, I wish you were never born. Or you're more trouble than you're worth. Or can't you do anything right? Words that are uttered by an adult in authority and they land and they define your thoughts and who you are and the scars aren't seen. You are here and, and you look like when you said hello to someone, you smiled and they saw from the physical standpoint, you look great and things look good. You drove in a really nice car today. You got nice clothes on. But deep down inside in your spirit, you have been wounded. You have been hurt and you're carrying the baggage of words that are curses that landed on your life. I received just about a month or so ago in an in, in, in email from an individual who, who has known the Lord. Because you can know Jesus and you can understand Jesus has died for you and loved you and yet not still have that curse removed until you move into more maturity and begin to understand deeply through usually the love of someone else who helps define that in your life. Or through the reading of God's Word where you can have this revelation and you truly... Um, Through it, God begins to work in your heart. But this person writes me and says, Hi, Pastor Kevin, I wanted to share with you my testimony. I have finally reached a point in my life where I finally feel happy, complete, and whole. Life for me has been one struggle after another. I have spent the majority of my life with a mascot. As a person who has received Christ years ago, I have tried to keep a smile on my face and pretend to be happy while trying to hide what was going on inside. Because of the ministry of a person in this church in another ministry, I have finally removed the mask of fake happiness and am genuinely happy now. That could be someone sitting near you. My love for the Lord has grown immensely these past few months. I am in such a new state of being. It's awesome. I never knew a person could feel this free and this happy. I always knew God loved me, but I could never really feel it. Now I feel His love all around me all the time. I love it and I love Him. And the reason I decided to write my testimony is because I really want to help and encourage others in the healing process. And then went on and and shared testimony in in an attached file. I want you to pay attention to your words, not just that what you say to others. You may need to pay attention to the words that you say about yourself. The words you say about yourself can actually be a reflection of what's going on in your heart. You can be saying words that were once said to you that you keep defining your situation and you go, well, they're not a big deal. It's not, you know, so I say I'm really stupid. It is a big deal. Often when you say those words, they reflect something that has happened back here. My guess is it's a curse that's been on you that God does not intend for you to live with. And today, God wants you to know it can be free of it. But your freedom may come in beginning to pay attention to it, in working it, in understanding God's Word around it, getting close to someone, allowing someone into that space, and then through discipline, it really is through discipline of understanding and and beginning to say, I won't say it because it's probably become a habit, you begin to change and transform who you are. That can happen today for you. And if you're here with a mask, I want to share with you, I would love to talk to you. We have counseling and through Gateway and some other ministries that can come around and help relieve that. 
There's also another thing that it says here. It's a preventative number two. And it's what I would call not just words that can harm and can, can destroy but, and, and define you, but what I'm looking at here specifically is what the Word of God says. It says so clearly in God's Word, disobedience to God in any of your area of your life. If you find yourself, whether high-handedly going, I don't really care, I'm going to do this anyway, or maybe are disobedient in, in areas where you're just... it's. You're just trying to get some kind of need met or whatever. God says that allows for there to be a place for a curse to land. The natural result of disobedience in any area of your life opens the door to the reality of a curse. In the Old Testament, because they were children, God, as the parent, came in and said, I want you to know this truth. Here's the way reality works. And because I'm reality, I'm going to voice it for you. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, he says, If you listen obediently to the voice of God, your God, and heartily obey all His commandments that I commanded you today, God, your God, will place you on high and high above all the nations of the world. He's speaking to Israel, the children of Israel. And all these blessings will come down on you and spread out before you because you have responded to the voice of God, your God. And what he did then is he had one group over here read the blessings on one side of the mount, and then on the other side of the mount they would read the curses. So you go on and he reads all these blessings of what God's going to do. But then he gets to verse 15 and he says this, here's the reality, here's what will happen if you choose to walk in disobedience. If you choose to walk in disobedience, you become a landing pad for a curse. Here's what will happen if you don't obediently listen to the voice of God, your God, and diligently keep all the commandments and guidelines that I'm com- commanding you today. All these curses will come down hard on you. God's curse in the city. God's curse in the country. God's curse in your basket and bread bowl. God's curse in your children, the crops of your land, the young of the livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of the flocks. His curse in your coming and your going out. And God will send the curse, the confusion, the contrariness down on everything you try to do until you've been destroyed. There's nothing left of you. All because of your evil pursuit that you have left have led you to abandon me. Now, that sounds harsh. But I think, like any parent, you're saying, you know what? Listen, I love you so much. I want to tell you this, that if you choose to go across the street, you know, they're aged, they're accountable, they know enough, and you don't look both ways, you could hit the contrariness, right? The curse. And so God says to you, walk into obedience of of a relationship with me. And in my relationship, I will reveal to you the things that are true and right. And as you walk in obedience to that, I will just pour out blessing. In this love relationship, I will begin to move in and through you. And so you get this picture. Joshua, after this occurs, brings the people in the land. They settle the land and God seems to be with them. They all agree to listen to His voice. And then you move into the period of the Judges. And in the period of the Judges, in the book of the Judges, another name for the the book of the Judges could have been the the book of the law of, of sowing and reaping. The law of consequences. Because you see, they follow the Lord for a period of time and then they, they don't. And they have this period. It's just one where they follow the Lord and then they don't. And it's, you live in blessing and you live in curse. You live in blessing you live in curse. And then Galatians, Paul says it this way in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person will reap what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So you may be feeling some contrariness against you, or you may be in a situation you're not at all, and you kind of go, and it's not going to catch up. It will. It will catch up to you. 
Never heard me say don't lie because if a lie will always make itself known. That's what Jesus says, that every word that comes from our mouth that someday will be shouted from the rooftops. Our lives, our character will be made known. And so I just encourage you, preventative number two is here. Just seek to know God and seek to say, God, if there's an area where I'm not walking in obedience and you're struggling with it and you're going, you know what, it's not high-handed. I just, you know, I just need help in this area. I don't know why I feel I have to gossip. Well, you'd probably never call it gossip, right? When we have sin, we don't like to really call it what it is. I don't know why I feel like I have to share something about a person that I really shouldn't share. Has anybody ever done that? Well, it may be because you just want so badly. You need this sense of intimacy. You need this sense of feeling special and close. And so you do these, what I call sinful, what the Word of God calls gossip. You do these things in order to, to bridge that and to get this kind of intimacy. It will never create it. And what it does is creates a landing pad for contrariness in your life. Or guys, let me just speak to you really plainly with something like pornography. And, and you know what? You, don't, you kind of go, well, you know, it's just... I can't help it. You know, our, our marriage isn't great and, and, and all the things you can put around that. And you just are driven to it. And, and you know what? Sometimes you're driven to it because you want intimacy. But I can tell you, it's like a, it, it will be a curse because it won't bring intimacy here. What will bring intimacy is for you to stand up and just come in and say, you know what? I'm needing to deal with something. I don't get it. Getting some help and starting to say, God, how do you come into this area of my life so that you can begin to move in this area of my life so I can have what you promised me here? I can walk in blessing. Do you want blessing? If you want blessing, obedience means this. It doesn't mean trying to white-knuckle your way into the blessing. It means recognizing what's going on in your heart, recognizing that the expression that's coming out might be desiring something that God wants to give you, but it will never happen in the route you're trying to get it. And then, preventative number three. I call them generational patterns of sin. There's generational things that, um, you know, when he said you'll curse your children, the, the idea is, is found in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 through 6. There are patterns of sin, consequences of those sins that are passed down from generation to generation. We read in verse 4 of chapter 20 of Exodus, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins, sin of the parents, it just doesn't seem fair, right? Punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He uses the words hate because he's using love and hate in the sense those who prefer or don't prefer. Okay? Does that make sense? But those show, but I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Three to four versus a thousand. I think I want the thousand. And so you ask, you ask yourself, oh, how can that be? Well, you know, we find now, you know, often in genetics that the genetics can be carried three to four generations. You know, also the way that our patterns set people up, we find. We go, you know what, you see an alcoholic pattern, you can see that following itself down until someone chooses to change the pattern. A workaholic pattern. You go, well, maybe that's not such a bad thing, but it sets up other things. Even the hero of the faith, Abraham, 
you might not even realize it, had a sin that moved from generation to generation. And I just want to take a second to just kind of walk through that. It says in chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, that Abraham traveled from the, the south to Negev and settled down between Kadesh and Shur. And while he was camping in Gerar, Abraham said of his wife Sarah, he was telling people, and this was really just a half lie, so that wasn't a full truth, because in those days, and I won't go into the uh, details of this, um, they, they would call, they could call their wives a sister. But he, he was doing this for the purpose of lying. But it was a half lie. He says, she's my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her because that's what kings would do. And God came to Abimelech in a dream that night and told him, you're as good as dead. That woman you took, she's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not yet slept with her and hadn't so much as touched her. And he said, Master, you would you kill an innocent man? Didn't he tell me she's my sister? And didn't she herself say he's my brother? I had no idea I was doing anything wrong when I did this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know your intentions were pure, but that's why I kept you from sinning against me. And that, that's something about God. When your intentions are right, you can bet there will be no landing plan for the curse. I know your intentions were pure. That's why I kept you from sinning against me. I was the one who kept you from going to bed with her. So now give the man's wife back to him. He's a prophet who kind of half lies. It doesn't say that. I said that in the text. Um, and I will pray for you and pray for your life. If you don't give her back, know that it's certain death, both for you and everyone in your family. That's a pretty powerful word. So you just drop down a couple generations. Here is, you know, you have Abraham and his son Isaac. Now you have Isaac and Jacob. And, and Isaac has two sons, Jacob, Esau. And at this point, the twin brother Jacob wants the blessing. And so he comes into his father with this scheme with his mother to dress up like the son Esau, the older son. And you come to verse 21, and it says, Isaac, who in this sense is blind, he can hardly see. He's an old, old man. said, come close, son. Let me touch you. Are you really my son Esau? Which makes you go, whoa, wait a second. Some kind of deception is already going on here. He's aware of the deceiver, which was his last, you know, kind of Jacob's name. So Jacob moved close to his father, Isaac. Isaac felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. I think these are humorous passages of the scripture. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy. He had pasted some kind of hair on his hand or something like his brother Esau. But as, as he was about to bless him, he pressed him. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure you're my son Esau? Yes, I am. So Isaac calls him uh, to Jacob to get close and, and he smells him. To smell if he smells like Esau. And they'd even thought of that. So Isaac blesses Jacob. And not long after this, Esau comes home to receive the blessing. And his father Isaac asked him, Who are you? And he says, I'm your son. He answered, You're firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. Indeed, he'll be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's word, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. And took your blessing. So you have this little white lie carries down the family all the way to Jacob. And Jacob, because of this, in his flesh, deceptive, is, is seeking to get blessing on his own, not living as God would want him to, but yet God wants to bless him. So he leaves his father's land, goes to a place where he finds his wife. He tricks and deceivingly 
um, gets things from his father-in-law so that he has to run from his father-in-law. He's running back, going back to his land after many years now. And here his brother Esau is coming towards him. He thinks his life is over. He sends his family away from him. He has this time where he's wrestling, it says, with the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus. And as he's wrestling with him, wrestling for the blessing, saying, God, I want your blessing. And so what God basically says through Jesus, Jesus, it says, touched his hip, broke his hip, made it so he could not run any longer. He had to limp. He couldn't use his flesh. He was, in that sense, his deception, the pattern of deception was broken at that point. He couldn't run it any longer. He gave it up to God. And he said, God, I will begin to face all that I to face. He walks into the face of his brother Esau and, and God cares for him. And begins to bless him like he's never been blessed before. I just want to share with you, you will come to points where there will be awareness of things that continue to frustrate you. There's a contrariness. There's a way. There's a habit. There's something that's been occurring that's been a pattern. And it becomes known to you when it becomes known to you. Jesus sometimes will even make it where he'll come in and he'll stop it with pain. He did that in my life at one point. Serving God with all my heart, consciously wanting Him with all my being. And yet I was doing it out of my flesh. And at a certain point, God stepped in, in the midst of trying to give Him all of His blood, really seeking to serve Him. And He had, in a sense, He had to kind of touch my hip and break my flesh and say, Kevin, if you want my blessing, it's going to come by as you get to know me and you begin to understand that. And you break every one of these generational patterns. You break them. And you may be there today. You may be having your hip being touched by God and He's touching an area in your business or you see it in your children. And out of great love and grace, God steps in and says, I'm stopping this pattern. I'm breaking the chain. I don't want it to go another generation. If that's where you're at, Pay attention to these things. Live in the awareness of the Spirit of the God who loves you and wants you to move into His blessing. Now I'm going to ask the servers to come because we're going to take communion and this is the reason why I wanted to put communion here at the end. And so if the servers would come and take a seat here, I'm just going to close with just this last point. You see what the Scripture has to tell us? The Bible tells us this. The cure, the antidote to the curse is Jesus. The cure is in Jesus. When you receive Jesus, He says He will remove the curse of sin on your life. And as you begin to walk with Jesus and you begin to know Him and you begin to follow Him and if you're willing to become like Him, He will begin to reveal the words that may harm you and those curses that come that way. He'll begin to deal with your disobedience. He will also begin to share with you those generational patterns because He has come to bless you. You know, whenever you take an antidote, it doesn't immediately sometimes take effect, right? It doesn't remove all the illness. It takes time for it to work itself through your system. So in this life, part of following God is beginning to grow in your character so you become more holy, more like Him. You don't immediately... People think when you accept Jesus, you immediately are perfect. Not at all. In fact, what you're really aware of is how imperfect you are. 
You begin to realize how humbled you are. And what I love about this passage of Scripture, we're told that the cure is fully present in Jesus and is worked into our life as we grow more fully. So that Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 is really clear about the way God will bless you. He says, you either never sin and follow God's law perfectly, and then you can begin to experience all the blessing of God. Or you recognize that you are a sinner and you need Him as your cure. In fact, it says this in, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue. Listen to this, to do everything written in the book of the law. That's a hard road to walk. Anybody perfectly kept the law? Clearly no one who relies on the law, says Paul, is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. And this is what I love about this communion meal. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming, it says in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He has taken the curse of sin on Himself. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus. What I want you to think about is we just kind of take a moment to reflect on this before we take the meal. Is Think about this. The curse came through eating the fruit of the tree. The blessing comes through eating, nourishing your life on Jesus who is giving you grace from the Father. So as you take this meal, it is a very symbolic reality of the truth that it is in Jesus alone. In the same way the curse came through that tree and through eating, in the same way through the eating and the drinking of this cup comes life. Now this meal doesn't bring life. It reflects the life that comes when you open your heart. Repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And he then begins to restore and redeem not just your life, but he's doing it with this whole world. That's what we do when we come to the table. Just um, take some moment and just pray and thoughtfully think through that.